Thank you for listening to Breakthrough Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. Brought to you by John Crumpton. For more podcasts, news, and other events, please visit breakthroughlife.co.za. Well, it's super to have folks joining us online this morning. Uh, We've had a number of people joining us this week for the Breakthrough Worship School. And uh, we were over 200 people that were just going flat out in worship from Wednesday night through until uh, late last night. Uh, we, we did a burn. And, uh, and then we just carried on, obviously, as you saw this morning. And um, you know, people from different nations joining us as well, uh, as well as from all over the country. And uh, just growing in our understanding of worship, uh, growing in skill, uh, growing in our ability to host the presence of the Lord. And we had quite an extraordinary time on Friday night. It was uh, a time of extended worship, and we were getting to about the hour mark, and uh, there were still some more songs that the, the worship team were prepared for and so on. And I just said to Daryl, you know, we're at something of a high point. I think maybe let's just you know jump in here and we can... You know, move on to the rest of the stuff for the evening. Well, Daryl jumped on, and then things jumped up, and um, and and the worship just continued, and response, and echo, and participation, and just a yeah, just the Holy Spirit just blowing through the place. And uh, so, two and a half hours later, and of course, no preaching. Yeah, 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 but you know what, eh, I'm going to make up for it now, going to make up for it, okay, but these times are not manufactured, you know, we, we don't try and pretend, we need to be poised and positioned that when the wind blows, like a sail that is up and ready, we can catch the current of the wind and we can be carried forward. That's, that's the whole thing of be, being filled with the Spirit. That's Ephesians chapter 5. It's having the sail up and the sail being filled with the ruach, the breath, the wind of the Spirit. And as we're filled with the Spirit, we get carried along. Yay, carried along and carried away. (laughs) All right, so uh, again, thank you to those families that hosted delegates um, and uh, just served in in so many different ways. Uh, It was just a a phenomenal time together. So, yay, yay, yay. So what I was going to share on Friday night... And because we have a number of the worship school delegates still with us this morning, I'm just going to be sharing into some of the things that I'd I'd wanted to share. Obviously, there are a whole bunch of technical things about song lists and how we should put songs together and how we should put a worship team together and these kinds of things I'm not going to be including. All right? You'll have to come back next year for that part. Um, But what I want to do is, uh, is pick up on something that actually uh, 
during our time of worship this morning, we referred to. So, one of the songs we, we sang was, Great is Your Faithfulness. Man, there's something about that song that just gets me every single time. It's His faithfulness that carries us forward. He's, we, can, we can hold on to Him because He's faithful. And we can face the future because we look back at the past and we see he has been faithful. If he's been faithful then, well, he's going to be faithful now. Now, I might not know how it's going to work out. But he's the one who makes a way where there seems to be no way. He always was faithful. In fact, it's his nature, it's his character. He's revealed in Scripture As the faithful one. So he has to be faithful. Because that's who he is. He can't stop being faithful. Like when you're in a jam. And you're kind of like. I don't know what to do. Like God's not coming through. It's like. I don't know. Don't even begin to think. That God is going to disappoint you. As though he would stop being God. Just in order to disappoint you. That he would stop being faithful. Because if he changed his nature. He would cease to be God. So even if we don't understand what's playing out. We can never question his faithfulness. He is faithful. He was, he is, always will be. And in the song, when we got to the second verse, speaks about his kindness, and then it goes on to say, you are our shelter, our dwelling place. We are called to live in the place, his place, to dwell. Now, revivals often focus on a visit, a visitation, where where God comes and there's this amazing encounter and then we move on. What God wants is more than a visitation. He wants habitation. In fact, there's such a deep longing and desire within us for habitation. Because he made us, he designed us for exactly that. And he set up everything in order that we should come home. Dwell. Okay. So, in the next four hours, 
All right, maybe not so much. I have, I've got eight handles I want to give to you that are, are going to hopefully link together that's going to help us in our understanding with this thing of dwell. So in John's gospel, would you please turn to John chapter 1? And John's not a bad guy. He's pretty good, actually. And, and he wrote quite an amazing um, book. And he copied something of the, the first book of the Bible, Genesis. In the beginning, God created. That's Genesis chapter 1, yes? How about this? In John chapter 1, he says, In the beginning was the, was the Word. Okay? So John is setting up and he's drawing echoes, if you like, from Genesis chapter 1, the creation of man, Adam and Eve in the garden, Mankind being in relationship with God. Before the fall, there was this spending time in relationship with God. Adam and Eve walking with God in the cool of the evening. Closeness. Sin put an end to that caused a separation but God had a plan to fix that and he had that plan even before he made the earth he already had that plan in place so by the time we get to John chapter 1 I think I've given you enough time to get there now in John chapter 1 and verse 14 it says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth remember Jesus said I am the way truth and the life so he came full of grace and truth grace is God's supernatural enabling to cause us to live the God life okay and, and so Jesus came, the word, the eternal word, the living word. You can see echoes from Genesis 1. In the beginning, God said, let there be. Words came out. Another preach for another day. Let's stay with where we we were at. But just the the beauty of the Holy Spirit inspiring John to write and to echo things from Genesis chapter 1. But he says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, we we read that and kind of like, okay, this is cool. This This is nice. But if we were a Hebrew we would have recognized code language. Because one of the meanings of this word dwell actually is tabernacle. He came to tabernacle among 
his people. In fact, some of your translations will, will actually will use the word tabernacle there. Okay? So there was a, a, a specific reason that the Holy Spirit inspired John to record and to say that he came and he tabernacled among us, to dwell among us. Because there was a, a code that had been um, grafted into the people of God throughout their understanding of the old covenant and the way in which God had revealed himself to his people. Let me give you another handle quickly. This guy John, he wrote another book. It's the last book of the Bible. So in his gospel, he echoes... He echoes, he echoes Genesis, and then he also authors the last book, Revelation. Ongelooflik, nee. All right. And then he ends in chapter 21, which is just before chapter 22, which is the end of the end. Like a good preacher, you must have a couple of endings. And... So in chapter 21 of the book of Revelation, in verse 3, he said, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. That word dwell is also the same word, tabernacle. You guys are amazing. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, apparently, God's really intentional about this dwell thing. John helps us understand why Jesus came. What was this about? He came to dwell among his people. And then he says, listen, when it's all sorted out and we've got everything in right order and place, etc., then we get this dwelling place with God. I will like to come at another time and explain to you a little bit about you know what Jesus said in my house, you know, my father going to my father's house, many mansions, all this kind of stuff, and the the, the many mansions, the my father's house, the new city. Jerusalem coming down on earth and how big that place is and all, all those kinds of things that, that weave together so beautifully, which is basically going to be our destination, our dwelling. Yeah. So we've got a temporary, a temporary tent, this body, Paul describes this, this, this temporary dwelling. This, this tent of the body. And then we leave this temporary tent and then we go to a temporary place called heaven while he's fixing up the final dwell place. And what I really wanted to try and get to with our worship teams this week was to encourage them to write songs not just about here, and not just about the temporary heaven, 
But how about we write about where we're going? Ultimately. Okay. But I missed them, so I'll have to catch them next year. Not to worry. But so the second handle is we see from the book of Revelation that this all ends with dwell, with tabernacle. Okay? Now again, the New Testament was written to people who were very au fait with the, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, their understanding, and so the trigger words meant things for them. So this word tabernacle or dwell meant something to them. What did it mean? I'm so glad you asked, so let's reach for the third handle. What was the original use of the word tabernacle? You first find this first mentioned in Exodus chapter 25, where Moses is being given an instruction by God on the top of the mountain, and he's saying, but we're going to sort out a few things, because we've got a little bit of time in the wilderness, 40 years. So let's just sort out a few ground rules and things, and then let's get things set up, not just for the 40 years, but then when you get into the promised land, how are we going to arrange things? And as he's setting up things, and he's giving to Moses on the top of the mountain, he says to, in Exodus 25 and verse 8, then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. I will dwell among them. I will tabernacle. He says, build me a tabernacle. Okay? So what was going on then? Basically, God is saying, the one who led them out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, into the wilderness... The one who was with them at night, the pillar of fire. And in the daytime, the cloud that was covering them, air conditioning. In the heat of the desert, the wilderness, air conditioning. Perfect climate. At night, deserts normally freezing cold. There he is, he's giving light and heat. No load shedding. Constantly. Just the perfect temperature. This is extraordinary, right? And he says, listen, I don't just want to be up there in the sky. I actually want you to build something and we're going to put it in the middle of the camp. Now, this is one huge camp. Because we're talking somewhere between two and three million people. This is a huge family. Yeah? I mean, how did it get to that? It started with one guy, Abraham. And he was a late bloomer. And he had his, you know... Isaac, Abraham was a hundred when Isaac was born. 
Listen, if you're a late starter, don't worry. You can still change the world, even if you start late. Anyway, Abram, Isaac, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob, he understood the be fruitful and multiply part. Twelve. Okay. But there was famine. They leave where they were in Canaan and they head down to Egypt because they'd sent one of the brothers ahead. Joseph. He didn't realize what the assignment was. It took many years for him to figure out what the assignment was. Things went to pot for a while. Pot of his house and then He was on retreat for a very long time. I think it was about 13 years in prison. He was in retreat. And eventually he gets promoted and he's equivalent to prime minister. He says, hey, family, benefits, eh? So they get the land of Goshen. Sneaky, absolutely sneaky. So sneaky. This is the wisdom of God. So just tell Tell the Egyptians, you guys are shepherds. Shepherds. Yeah, yeah. Shepherds were thought as being very low class. You didn't want to associate with shepherds. So they're kind of like, oh, Joseph, you prime minister and your family are, no, we don't talk about the family. Hide them away in Goshen. But while they were hidden, became a nation. It takes about 400 years, and they grow from a household to somewhere between two and three million. This is massive. Okay. 400 years of slavery, cry out to the Lord. Moses has a fire encounter. And uh, he goes, says to Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. They have a few plagues. I'll behave myself, I won't say anything. And um, so they go. Off to go and worship the Lord. And the whole point was to go and worship the Lord at the mountain. And they get themselves ready. And then God shows. And when the presence of God shows up, the people say, "Uh Oh, this is not what we signed up for. I mean, it was, but they didn't realize it. Because God came in a form that they weren't ready for. Cloud comes down. And there's lightning. And there's thunder rumbling and the ground is shaking and then it's just not the people it's not just the ground that's shaking the people start shaking and they say mo you and the elders you go we're not going anywhere near that god 
you go and you find out. And whatever he says, you come down and tell us, we'll do it. But we're not going to go and worship and have contact with him. This is ridiculous. The very thing that they were taken out of slavery to go and worship God, the people were not ready or willing to do that. Not only that, but they weren't ready and willing to go into the promised land either. So they needed detox. There was a lengthy detox, about 40-year detox, so that God could get them ready. Anyway, with this detox of 40 years, God gives to Moses the plan because God doesn't want to just stay up in the sky. He wants to come down. He wants to dwell. He wants to tabernacle. I mean, he's just got them free from slavery in Egypt. Like, he's like, it's like a father with his kids. He's like, hey, I want the kids. And the kids say, we don't want you. So he sets up this thing where he can be with them in the middle of the three million. Put three tribes to the north, three tribes to the south, three tribes to the east, three to the west. And God comes down in the tabernacle in the middle. And there's skins all around demarcating the area and there's an outer court and there's the place, the, the altar where there's sacrifices and there's a place for washing and then you get the, the holy place. There's a table with showbread on it. There's an altar where incense is burnt. And then there's a lampstand. Seven branches. I think it's seven. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. There's always that one person. <laughs> Just kidding, man. Speaking, all these things are prophesying and speaking about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and our relationship with God. But then there's a curtain. And beyond the curtain, separating the holy place from the holy of holies or the most holy place, this curtain. And on the inside, is what's called the Ark. The Ark of the Covenant. Now, you don't need any raiders or anything looking for the lost Ark. The Ark is a box, a wooden box made from acacia wood. Come on, where do acacia trees grow? Africa. That's pretty good right there. The acacia wood overlaid with gold. Inside the box, there's a jar with some manna in it. Then the the tablets, not like our tablets today, but the stone tablets 
with the law, the Ten Commandments Moses received. And then there's this, this staff, the stick, which was Aaron's rod. Anyway, the most ridiculous thing about this is, I mean, it's a stick. It's a dead stick, but it budded. It was like supernatural life came to something that was dead. You've got these supernatural things. I mean, the, the tablets, like God speaking supernaturally, the manna appeared supernaturally, and, and the rod budding, all these supernatural things. And then on the top of this, this box, they had fashioned two angels, one on either end, with the wingtips stretching out and touching the cherubim touching, and then between the cherubim under the wings there was a thing known as the mercy seat. And the mercy seat was the place where the high priest would put the blood on the day of atonement. So what happens is that once a year, On the day of atonement, the high priest, he would first have to sacrifice a bull for his own sins. Gosh, that's a lot of sin from the high priest. I'm just messing with you, man. Come on, just because it took one goat for the whole nation. One goat for the whole nation, but you need a bull for the high priest. (laughs) Take the, the blood from the goat and pour it, sprinkle it and pour it on the mercy seat. One day a year. Day of Atonement. And the blood would cover over. Atone means to cover over the sin of the nation from the previous year. Didn't take away the sin. It just covered over. You know like when you're, you're sweeping in the lounge. And then there's that last little bit that just won't get in the pan. You just lift up the corner of the carpet. You know when you don't have time and the visitors are just about at the door. You're just like, don't tell Lisa, okay. So we talk about sweeping under the carpet, right? The dust is still there. You can't see it. It's covered over. The carpet has atoned the dust, but hasn't dealt with the dust. And the old covenant, that blood, that sacrifice of the goat, covered over, didn't deal with the sin, but it just, it covered it for the, for the year. All of that was pointing to the fact that the old covenant was good, but the better covenant was required. Prophesying of better blood. Of a better covenant. And this this high priest. He would go in there. 
to offer sacrifice the sins of the people. But there would be a second goat and he would symbolically lay hands on the head of this goat and put on this goat symbolically the sins of the entire nation. Like transfer symbolically. And then they would chase this goat out into the wilderness to go and die. It was called the scapegoat. And the sin of the whole world was laid upon him. And he was chased outside the city to die. So much in the whole thing around the tabernacle and the worship in the tabernacle. Prophetically speaking about what Jesus would come and do. But when Moses was up on the mountain and God was giving to him the, the blueprints, he said in, uh, in Leviticus 25 and verse 22, there above the cover, in other words the mercy seat, between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the covenant, covenant I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. Other translations say, I will meet with you, I will commune with you, I will fellowship with you. And I will speak to you and tell you what to do. This whole setup of the tabernacle was God wanting to come and dwell with his people. And to meet, commune, have fellowship, and to speak. And that was prophetically pointing to what was going to unfold in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. Isn't that amazing? Fourth handle. Somebody's done something to the clock again, and they've sped up the timer. Okay, just can we reset that clock a little bit? The fourth handle is that the pattern for worship in the tabernacle was carried through to the temple. So what was the tabernacle? The tabernacle was a tent. It was mobile because the Israelites were moving around for the 40 years. But once they got into the promised land, there were judges... And then after that, you had prophets. And then after that, you had a King Saul. Then you had King David. And then you had King Solomon. Solomon built the temple. It was in David's heart to do. But God said, too much blood on your hands, but your son can do it. So David collected all of the funds... And he contributed massive amounts for the, the building of the tabernacle. Solomon gets to construct it. In today's terms, it would be the equivalent of 16 
billion US dollars for one building. 16 billion US dollars for one building, the temple. Apparently, God's okay with excellence. Apparently, he's okay with extravagance. Apparently, he's okay with the finest things. It's religion and a poverty mentality that wants to cut corners and just make do. But that doesn't reflect the nature of God. And there was no recession, no economic difficulty for the nation to do it because God already provided. I mean, he put the gold in the ground anyway and the silver and everything else that was required. So it was easy. But the, but the pattern, if you like, in the temple was based on the tabernacle. So you had the same articles of furniture and you had the same curtain or veil that separated the most holy place from the holy place. Fifth handle I want to give you is something significant happened at the cross. When we go and we we look at the whole story of the passion and all the things that took place, nothing was accidental. The crown of thorns. What's that about? Well, by the sweat of your brow, you will work and the land will be cursed with thorns. And he broke that curse. What's with the whipping? By his stripes, you're healed. What's with the 30 pieces of silver? When you're sold, you're a slave. And he broke slavery off us that we might be free. And in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 50, he's on the cross. He cries up in a loud voice and he gives up his spirit. Verse 51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rock split, the tombs opened up. We'll talk about that another day. It's like, wow. The curtain, that veil, that was separating the holy place from the most holy place. The place where only the high priest could go in once a year. And the curtain was probably about three stories high probably about two feet thick. 
Now this is not, you know, when nobody was looking, they were distracted because of the earthquake. Somebody snuck in there and just <laughs> tore the curtain. Now they estimate you probably had to have a span of oxen to pull the curtain. It was so heavy. So this wasn't just, you know, somebody sneaking in there and doing something. And of course, it's about three stories high, and the scriptures are so clear. You'll see the same kind of reference in Mark and the same reference in in Luke. It says it was torn from the top to the bottom. It wasn't torn from the bottom to the top. This was a supernatural action. God was tearing it open. He was removing the thing that kept us out of his presence. Because he wants to dwell, to tabernacle with his people. And instead of under the old covenant where you sweep the dirt under the rug, atonement, Jesus, the once and for all sacrifice, dealt with sin forever, completely. Not just covered over, actually removed, taken away. Never to to be remembered again. Hallelujah. Number six. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 5, speaking about people who serve in the tabernacle or in the temple on earth, it says they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. Hello? We're the kind of people who want to be on earth as it is in heaven. Hello? On earth as it is in heaven. What's going on in heaven? In heaven, apparently, there is a tabernacle. And the earthly tabernacle is a shadow, a copy of the original in heaven. Which is why and in in Hebrews chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 9, it explains that Jesus took his blood and put it on the mercy seat in heaven. All right. This is amazing things that that are happening there. Number seven, Jesus is building two things. Jesus said, I will build my church. Yay, we're all good with that. But he's also building the tabernacle of David. Acts chapter 15 and verse 16 says, After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Clue there for us. Even all the Gentiles, that's us, who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things. Okay. Jesus is building the church and he's building David's fallen tent or tabernacle. What is that? Jesus is not building... The temple of Solomon. He's not building the temple of Zerubbabel. He's not building 
the tabernacle of the wilderness, he's specifically rebuilding David's tent. What is that about? I'm so glad you asked. Because this is the context of worship school. And David, he's kind of like, you know what? We're sorting out all our enemies. We better bring the ark, which is the, the symbol of God's presence, back to Jerusalem. And so he sets up a tent close to the palace that the ark, which should have been in the Holy of Holies, has got a space until one day they can build the temple. But the tent that he puts up, and you'll see this in First Chronicles chapter 15, chapter 16, and chapter 17. The tent that he sticks up does not have a curtain separating the ark of the presence from the rest of the tent. David saw something prophetically that we would be allowed to come into the presence of God. He's so serious about this He sets up on the payroll 4,000 full-time musicians to worship the Lord 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And he gets the best of the best to train the musicians so they can be skillful. It's like out of tune, you're out of here. You sing like a dog with his hind leg caught in the fence. Uh, You can be a gatekeeper. You ain't singing yet. The best of the best skilled. On the payroll. Worshipping before the ark. This is David's tent. And book of Acts says this is what he's doing. He's rebuilding David's fallen tent. This is amazing. Yeah? So let's land now with my eighth and final point in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, By the blood of Jesus. By a new and a living way. That's opened up for us through the curtain. That is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. Let us draw near to God. With a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And having our bodies washed with pure water. 
the invitation to us as the people of God, the people of faith, is we do not trust in our own efforts and our own sacrifices. We do not trust in the system, Old Testament kind of worship, even thinking that's allied to that performance. No, our faith, our trust is that Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice. And his blood speaks a better way. Far superior than whatever the old covenant could be. The new covenant established in the blood of Jesus. Our faith, our belief, our hope, our trust is in him and what he did. Not our efforts. And because we believe in him and what he's done. And because through his body, through his sacrifice, he opened up a new and a living way. It's like the Red Sea opened up and they went to freedom. His body caused the curtain to open up and we have freedom to come into his presence. To dwell with him. To tabernacle with him. It was always his heart and his plan. But people fell short of it. And we know that this is his heart and his plan because he, that's what he came to do. John chapter 1. And we know at the end that's what he's going to establish. Revelation chapter 21. It's all about dwell with him. The Bible says we are seated with him in heavenly places. I mean, it's blowing your brain, right? Because what's he saying? You have access now to what he's going to establish then. Just as he went to the the real tabernacle, sorted it all out. We too, seated with him, we have relationship with him, we have connection, we dwell with him. That's why it's Emmanuel. God with us. Not God visit us. God with us. I will never leave you, never forsake you. Habitation. Because of the new and the living way, we can come with confidence and boldness. And our times of worship This is where it ties into Psalm 100 and I'll have my fifth ending with this. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Come into his courts with praise. Come into his presence. It's all about the journey of progressing into the place of communing with him, tabernacling with him. And worship is to bring us to that place of encounter. Just as Moses was told, I will commune with you. 
between the wings of the cherubim above the mercy seat. I will commune, I'll fellowship, and I will speak to you. When we come together to worship, we're coming by a new and a living way into the very presence of God that we might fellowship and commune with Him and that He might speak to us and tell us what to do. Life happens in His presence. That is what we're about. That's why we take so much time to worship. In fact, we don't even take nearly long enough. One day, we'll get 4,000 people on the payroll. One day. Come on, if they could do it with an inferior covenant... What about one day, 4,000 people worshiping 24-7, 365, heaven on earth. We've tasted of the age to come and we've brought it into this present age. Why not? Come on, let's dream with God. Let's dream some big dreams. Wouldn't that be extraordinary? Some of you are saying, pick me, pick me. Yeah, let's stand. Thank you for the extra minutes. I appreciate it. Thanks everybody online. I know we've been running on a bit. Although I believe I'm not nearly as long as Robbie. So we're okay. Jesus. We bow before you. Hearts filled with thanksgiving and gratitude. Worship and adoration of what you accomplished for us on the cross. That there is this new and living way. And it's not something that's just theory, but it's something for us to live in and to experience, to embrace, to be building with you, co-laboring with you now. As you are rebuilding Establishing David's fallen tent. Establish that in our hearts and lives. Establish this in our minds. That we would live in this place of coming boldly before your throne. Being in your presence. Communing and fellowshipping with you. Being changed and transformed because of your glory increasingly may this be our portion we ask these things in your name because your name higher than any other name 
powerful and glorious and splendid, magnificent. There is only one name. In this name we pray, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen.